Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you that you anoint the preaching of your word in such a way that your Holy Spirit finds a landing spot within our being and you have, you, you do your work in each one of us. Today, as we open up the scriptures and as we expound upon uh, the word of God that you have inspired, I pray that each one of us, under the sound of my voice, wherever they may be, that each one of us would allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in us. I pray that you would fill my mouth with the word of God and allow what I say to be your words and not mine. And I pray that what I say today would be what you would say, Lord Jesus, if you were standing where I'm standing. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Yeah, amen. Uh, well, last Sunday we started this series uh, of the book of Haggai. So that kind of gives you a clue where we're going to turn. Um, and uh, today we're going to finish the series in the book of Haggai uh, because it is only two chapters. Um, last Sunday, we dealt with the first chapter where we see um, the children of Israel have been released from captivity. They've gone back to Jerusalem with the intention of rebuilding the temple. And they start rebuilding the temple, but because of antagonists and because of opposition, they, uh, they stop work. Worse than that, they not only stop work on the temple, but they start giving undue attention to themselves. As a matter of fact, they ask the question, is it really time to rebuild the temple? Is it time to, to apply ourselves to, to rebuilding this temple of God? Uh, and, and God sort of answers them and says, well, is it time for you to go living in your paneled houses? Paneled houses representing a very nice home, very nice house. I said last Sunday, I'll say it again, I don't think that the Lord was necessarily uh, given an issue or having an issue with their ha- them having a nice house or having nice things. I don't think God has a problem with you having nice things. And you've heard me say the problem is, is when the nice things have you. And the issue was not that they had a nice house to go back to. The issue was that they were neglecting the house of God to the exclusion of of their own. And God said, what time is it? I can tell you what time it is. It's time for you to rebuild my house. They didn't really have a time problem, we said last Sunday. They had a value problem. Their value system was skewed and corrupted. By their actions or by their inactions, they were saying, God, we're going to build our house instead of your house. Now, they didn't say that. You can't find that in scripture that they said to God, oh, we're going to build our house instead of your house. But you, you know, you've heard the, the axiom, uh, it's, it's, uh, um, when there's more, everything said and done, when everything is said and done, there's more said than done. Actions speak louder than words and their actions spoke loud. We're going to build our house 
and not yours because we value ourselves and our house and our comfort more than we value you and your glory. Now, sometimes, whether we like it or not, saints, sometimes our actions say that. Not a person in this room, not a person under the sound of my voice would go before the throne of God and make that statement. But our lives make that statement. There's, he said, uh, have you noticed that your resources began to dwindle? Have you noticed that you put, you, you drink something and you're still thirsty? You eat something, you're still hungry. You put money in your pockets and you got holes in your pockets. It just goes, have you noticed? There's a reason for that. There's a reason. God will get your attention. I'm going to give us a Calvin quote in a little while. And when they changed their value system and near the end of chapter one, they did. It says, and they obeyed God. When they changed their value system, God did something about the holes in their pockets. And this is not a message about tithing, but I don't know how many times I've heard people say, when I began to tithe, I realized that I'd had, I could do more or God could do more with the 90% than I could do with the hundred. Because I trust God. In the last chapter, verse 14 of chapter one says, they came and worked, everybody say worked, on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. They came and worked. Why did they come and work? They changed their value. God changed their value system. They adopted his values and not their own, and they came and worked. Now this week, this is a really brief summation, but this week in chapter 2, we will see where God tells them, now continue the work, and I will be with you. Now, we always read that right through. We read, continue the work and I will be with you. But the I will be with you is the most important part of that sentence. And then he'll say, and we'll deal with it, even though it doesn't appear so, the next version will be better than the former. Let's just say better than the former together, okay? Better than the former. The next version of the temple will be better than the former. Now, as I said last Sunday, I'll say it again. We have to be careful with typologies and analogies, but they're there. And there's a really clear typology in this book. And you just have to be careful that you don't carry your typologies too far. And uh, you can do that, but we're not doing that, I hope. But in chapter 2, we're going to see that he continues to address these people, even though they have... They have uh, obeyed God, even though they have changed their value system, and even though they've actually put their hand to work, he he addresses them. And so if you haven't turned already, turn to Haggai chapter 2, verse 1. And uh, once again, and I'm going to read all 23 verses. If you can't stand that long, you're not going to offend me. So if you stand while we read. And once again this week, I'm throwing you a little bit of a curve And I'm reading from the New King James Version. I got chapter 2, verse 1. In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, or by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple? Or this house in its former glory. And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, 
Is this not in your eyes as nothing? Now, some of your Bibles is not going to have the words in comparison with it. Don't get nervous about that. Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts. Now ask the priests concerning the law, saying, If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, And with the edge he touches bread or stew, wine or oil or any food, will it become holy? Then the priest answered and said, no. And Haggai said, if one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these, will it be unclean? So the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so is this people. And so is this nation before me, says the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. And now carefully consider from this day forward, from before stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days when one came to a heap of twenty ephahs, there were but ten, when one came to the wine vat to draw out fifty baths but from the press, but there were but twenty, I struck you, with blight and mildew and hail in the in all the labors of your hands, yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Consider now from this day forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded any fruit. But from this day I will bless you. And again, the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, and say, I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. And in that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. You could be seated. Be strong and work. He starts out this word through the prophet. He starts out this word by saying, Who of you was around to see the former temple? Now remember, some of them were. Some of the folks that were listening to him were there. They would have been young kids, small children, but they would have seen the other temple and now they've, they've, you know, they spent this 70 years in captivity. And he's saying, now what you, is it, does this compare? Don't, of course, he knows human nature. You and I both know human nature. 
And he knew that they would think that the, the, uh, the old temple was greater. As a matter of fact, when we read Ezra last week, it said because of the wailing of those who were older, you couldn't tell who was happy about the new temple and who was sad because it didn't match. And it didn't. For one thing, it didn't have the gold that Solomon used to overlay everything. It wasn't into the naked eye. It wasn't as pretty as Solomon's temple. And yet God said, still, I will fill this one with my glory. As a matter of fact, he says, I will fill it with more glory. I will fill it with a greater glory. And then he, I love this verse. To, he says to Zerubbabel, the governor. He says to Joshua, the priest. Now, that's, that's not separation of church and state, I don't think. When you have the governor and the priest working together. And then he says to the people of the land, he says the same thing to all three of them. Be strong. But he says it. Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, people of the land. How many of you know we're getting a clue? When God says be strong three times. Be strong, which is really a word that means to take courage. Matter of fact, some of your versions will say take courage in that passage. And it's just a phrase that means to seize firmly. We need people in the kingdom of God and in the church of God. We need people who will seize God's purpose firmly, who will walk with God firmly, who will not be knocked off of their path with every wind of doctrine, every little whim that comes their way. We need people who will hold on not to the doctrine, but hold on to the God of the doctrine. Sometimes we worship the doctrine too much. I was in a meeting one time trying to, uh, I was a teenager, I think, trying to invite a man to come in and speak at our, our youth revival. And I had a lady, I think it was probably a business meeting, where these kinds of things happen. A lady said, I just want to know one thing. I said, what's that? She said, is this, is he going to preach Baptist doctrine? Of course, you can kind of guess what kind of church we were in. I said, well, I, I said, you know him. He used to go to church here. He used to be our, 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 uh, whatever we call it in the Baptist church, song leader, worship leader. And he's going to preach the Bible. And she said, that ain't what I asked. I want to know, is he going to preach Baptist doctrine? Well, anyway, he came anyway. <laughs> be strong. Be, take courage. Seize firmly the purpose of God. And then the next thing he said was, and work. Oh, no, I, I don't want that part. No, I, I just want to go to church. I want to put some money in a basket. I want to sort of listen to a sermon. I want to shake somebody's hand. And I want, I want you to leave me alone the rest of my life. I want you to leave me alone the rest of my week. I'm going home to my paneled house. Leave me alone. No, God's, God, I'm, I'm sorry to, to tell you this, which you probably already knew. When God saved you, he saved you for good works. You didn't get saved by good works. You can't get saved by your good works. But he saved you to put you to work. Be strong and get to work. And, and interesting there, you can see the word work there is not just Labor for the sake of labor. It is actually in the, in the Hebrew, it actually says do, D-O. He says, 
Be strong and do. <laughs> it's really a word that means to make or um, to expend labor to accomplish something. That you would give yourself and apply yourself to seeing something accomplished for the kingdom of God. Now, again, that's not going to be for most of us. That is not going to be a, uh, a worldwide ministry for, for beginners. That's not going to be naming the lights. For most of us, that's not going to be something that touches thousands upon thousands of people. For most of us, when we speak a word of encouragement to one person, that's what that is. That's the work of the kingdom. I hesitate even telling this story because it sounds a little self-serving. And I hope, Lord, you don't rob me of my blessing. But my wife and I were in a Cracker Barrel last weekend. And uh, she bought, as a matter of fact, she bought what she's wearing today. Stand up. Oh, you're not? Never mind. Never mind. She didn't buy that. Oh, yeah. She wore it last week. I have no idea what you call it. It's something you put over you. I don't know. Manly men don't wear those things. <laughs> and the little girl, we bought it before we went to eat. And uh, we were meeting some, some of our Mayberry friends. But anyway, so the little girl said, ah, goodness, that's my favorite thing in this whole store. She said, I look at that every day. I just, she said, but I'd have to take grocery kids away, uh, grocery money away from my kids to be able to buy that. And I just can't do it. And she was, you know, laughing. I said, okay. So after we were getting done eating, I said to her, I said, you know, I really want to go get that thing. Actually, what I said was I want to go buy, give her a $50 gift card to Cracker Barrel, even though she works there, and let her go buy that thing. And she said, that's exactly what I wanted to do. So we did. Except she had a better idea. She guessed her size, and she went and got one off the rack. And a little girl checked us out. And our meal, and then I said, you know, this too. And she put the whatever it is that you drape over you. She put it in a bag. And then she gave me my receipt for our meal. She started to hand me the bag. And I said, that that's yours. You keep that. Well, when we left, she was crying. Which is why we left. How hard is it to touch somebody with the kingdom of God? I mean, you don't have to spend money, although we did. You don't have to do that. Just touch one person. I got so many stories. You'd probably rather hear the stories. Work. Be, work bravely. Uh, work Work without fear. Finish what you started. You know why he's telling them to finish what they started? Because they stopped already one time, and now they just got started back. Persevere. Hold fast to your faith, regardless of the obstacles life and our enemy puts in our way. Hold fast. Then he starts talking about the past and the present because the past seemed so much better. Y'all know this, but I'm going to tell you that quite often the past seems better than the present. Somehow we forget the little things in the past that were negative, and we only remember the the positive. 
We remember those days in that place. We remember those days in that church. And it was so much better. And it was so much greater. Well, it wasn't. It was good. It was really good. But God says, yeah, it was good. That temple was great. And it, while it doesn't, the structure doesn't look as good as the old one, my glory is going to be greater. And what you want, what do you want the most? Glory or a structure? And of course, you know, I said last week, we, we're not, when, in our part of this and how this translates to you and me is not a structure. We're not building a building. I mean, some people, anyway, this is a building and thank God that with this building, although Adam, you might want to bump that temperature up just a little bit. Um, see there? With this structure, most of the time, we don't get rained on when we're in here. We, we spent quite a bit of money getting leaks fixed, so that's true. But this is just a, this is just metal and styrofoam and drywall. There's nothing holy about this building except that it belongs to God. We could have church without this building. Just as easy. People across the street are doing it. Oh, Lord, help me. Don't get sidetracked here. We have a similar reaction as we observe a decline or the decline in the Western church. And I emphasize Western church because if you go to China or you go to any of these other countries, uh, you go to Muslim countries, you will see probably the greatest revival in the earth is among Muslims. The Jesus is reaching more Muslims than any other people group in the world as we speak. And when you go to China, you, you meet, uh, myriads upon myriads of Christians. Now you don't meet them standing out on the street corner thumping a Bible because they would get thumped. But the numbers of believers in those countries and the advancing nature of the church is, it's just hard to believe. And yet here we are in the Western church. We're going home to our paneled houses while we ignore God's house. Not this place, God's spiritual house. He said, you get to work because I'm with you. Again, most important part of the sentence is that God is with us. He said, my spirit remains. He said, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. According to the word, I made a covenant with you. And these were those words. I will dwell among the children of Israel and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell. Everybody say dwell. See, God's not far off. He's not in some corner of the universe watching us through his periscope. Telescope. I will dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. He made a covenant. He said, according to that covenant, my spirit remains. So my spirit remains. It is true that human work, human effort without the Holy Spirit is largely useless. Human effort in what we're talking about without the work and the power of God's spirit 
is just exercise that accomplishes nothing. By the same token, human endeavor is part of the Spirit's work because the Holy Spirit moves on humans. Say, say, I'm going to get you to have some really good grammar here. Say, I are one. <laughs> English teachers just went crazy. Humans, Holy Spirit moves and humans respond. The guy said, Guy walked, uh, Peter and, and John walked by the, the gate called uh, Beautiful and the guy sitting there said, I need some money. The Holy Spirit moved. Peter said, get up from there. I don't have any money. You know, I'm a preacher. <laughs> get up from there. Well, God used Peter to lift the guy up, but it wasn't Peter who strengthened the ankles. The Holy Spirit. So don't sit around waiting for the Holy Spirit to do it. Make a move. He uses humans to accomplish his work. He said, I'll fill this temple. I'll fill this temple with my glory. And the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. Paul said, he wrote, everyone in Asia has deserted me. I'm about to die. Which was a good thing, he thought. My life is ebbing away. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And so in that day, in Paul's day, it seemed that the church was on the brink of what some would call annihilation. On the brink of being removed. And I've got this quote by Alistair Begg. And it's, I don't know how many of you know who Alistair Begg is. I beg you to listen to him every now and then. Scottish, he's Scottish, but he pastors a church in Cleveland, Ohio. Humanly speaking, the church, I don't have a slide for this. Humanly speaking, the church trembled on the brink of annihilation. God said, God said, Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Therefore, through the likes of Timothy, human being cooperating with God, he picks it up and goes on. Today, the church in America trembles on the brink of capitulation. Annihilation in the first century was a, was a danger because of all the threats that were around them, and yet people like Timothy seized and, and seized firmly the work of God and got to work. But in the Western church today, We are on the brink of capitulation, capitulation to the Moors, and this is again, he's Scottish, the Moors and philosophies and notions of our day. What is capitulation? I have no idea. No, what it means is that you would give your, you would lean in that direction. You would give over, give yourself over to those things. The philosophies, the notions, of our day, and that's what I think makes this whole thing so tremendously telling and vitally important. It's because we today are too quick to adopt the values of the world. We're too quick to compromise and excuse and rationalize why we're going to put up with or approve of a lifestyle or a behavior that is obviously not godly. Why 
We have people closing their Bibles and just talking. Who say that the 66 books of the Bible are antiquated, outdated, no longer relevant. So we're not going to preach that book anymore. What is that? That's capitulation. This church will never be a big church. I can promise you. Because you can't preach the truth. The unvarnished truth. At least the way I preach it. Well, I'll leave that alone. It might be a big church once I'm gone. The same Spirit of God who launched Israel into existence as his people is with them today. You know, again, we've said this before, but we really need to make sure that as a country, we're with God who's with them. I I dread the day when we have either a Congress or a president or both who says we are breaking ties with Israel. We are now going to be an enemy of that country because we will be opposing God. I don't know about you. I don't want to oppose God. Because when you oppose God, he always wins. Same spirit. The one who provided special protection in their past offers the same protection today for their present and their future. The same Spirit of God who launched the church into existence as His people continues to be with the church today. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That that has never ceased to be true. The Bible says the kingdom of God, uh, in, in Isaiah it says the kingdom shall never cease to increase. The kingdom of God is increasing. It has always been increasing and it will continue to increase, I guess, for eternity. Why? Because the spirit of God remains. The one who provided special empowerment for the church's past offers identical empowerment today and tomorrow. And those those come from the spirit filled life Bible. It's the same Holy Spirit. Today, that was then. It's the same empowerment that they gained on the day of Pentecost. It's the same movement of God. It's the same anointing. It's the same God. It's Jesus Christ. The same today, yesterday, and forever. The same. And when you and I can sit here and go, Oh, it was so much better. You know, the old, uh, give me that old time religion. It was good enough for Paul and Silas. That's what people say about the King James Version. It's good enough for Paul and Silas. It's good enough for me. King James Version. 1611. Wasn't any Paul and Silas in 1611. But we, we look back and we, oh, it's greater than. It's better. Well, give me that old time religion. Well, I understand what they mean because they remember those days. They remember when God touched them. But the glory of God today is greater than the glory of God then. And then he calls us to holiness. I gotta pick it up. He says, ask those priests if they got a piece of meat that's holy and it touches something that's unclean, what happens? 
Does the unclean meat become holy? And then vice versa, if you have, anyway. This verse says, a highway shall be there and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. Let's say that together. Highway of holiness. Are you, are you, don't, don't answer me. Are you walking on the highway of holiness? The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. <laughs> Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. He said, be holy. Be holy, Peter writes. Uh, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And he's quoting Leviticus 19.2. And what he's saying there is, and, and by using a metaphor, he's teaching us this. People who are unholy. And what is unholy? Does that mean perfect? Does that mean sinless? No. It means set apart. It means set apart unto God. People who are unholy do not become holy by engaging in religious activities. So they thought, well, we got to work on this temple. We're doing pretty good. And God said, it's not about the structure. It's about your heart. Oops. Holiness is not transferable. You can't just walk into a cloud of holiness and walk out holy. You can't get around holy people and walk out holy. You can't do religious activities and become holy. Because it's about the heart. And he said, so is this people. And he means unclean. And why were they unclean? Now, in the context of our story, in the context of our, of our scripture in the book of Haggai, he's saying to them, they're unholy because they did not set themselves apart for my purpose and for my house. They set themselves apart for their own house and for their own purpose. And, and three months of work, even on the temple, will not undo the effects of years of neglect. Just make sure they understand that I'm after their heart more than this temple. They need to rebuild the temple, but I'm after their heart. And three months of working on the temple does not make them holy, does not undo years of neglect for my house. The people still lacked reformed or repentant lives. That's what he was after. That's what he was trying to get to. Sure, they went. Sure, they obeyed God. Sure, they went to work, but somehow their hearts hadn't followed them. And he said, whatever they do and whatever they offer, which is the summation of all their lives, whatever it is, it's unclean. So well, you're trying to make me feel bad. No, I'm trying to make you feel holy. I'm trying to tell us all we got to do is set ourselves apart unto God. You don't have to be perfect. You can't be perfect. You just have to set yourself apart unto God. Be God's. Be more concerned with his house than your house. Again, we're not talking about physical structures. Talking about his world, your world, his purpose. Because he said there's a blessing. There's a blessing and he's teaching them that looking, looking backwards gives us perspective. Uh, We should never live in the past. We should never give me them good old days again because they weren't so good as we thought they were. We should never try to live back there, but we should look back and get perspective. 
One of the greatest ways you can identify God's blessing in your life is to look back. Yeah, I, I, I remember that and that and that. Oh, I forgot about that. Looking backwards reinforces the blessing of putting God's purpose first. They looked back. Hey, we were, yeah, our pockets were, we were losing everything. We were eating and hungry and drinking and thirsty and it's time for me to stop. My wife gets so mad when I do this. Stop. There we go. We were doing all these things and our resources were dwindling. We had nothing. We look back. John Calvin says that sometimes God uses the deprivation of earthly blessings to get our attention and to cause us to lay up our treasures in heaven. Do you believe God might withhold a blessing temporarily just to get your attention? If you don't believe that, you have got a great experience awaiting you. From this day forward, turns our attention to looking forward for what God will do. We look back, yeah, we messed up. We need to repent because from this day forward, God said. He said, is the seed still in the barn? The answer is no. You've planted the seed and yet you haven't seen a harvest yet, have you? Haven't seen anything come up. From this day forward, I will bless you. In other words, watch. And all of your crops, all of your trees, all of your vines will produce fruit because of the blessing. Brother Vernon Simpson, Brother Charles's dad, used to say quite often, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And God said that to them, and I'm saying that to us by the Holy Spirit today. The best is yet to come. He said, my kingdom will always prevail in that passage. I, I was going to read Hebrews 12, and it, and it may put, it's in your notes if you're, you're looking at the version app. But he says, I'll shake the heavens. And he, and he says in Hebrews 12 that we we have a kingdom. That can never be shaken. No matter what happens in our life. No matter what God does in our life. The kingdom of God will never. Everybody say never. Never be shaken. And if it's never going to be shaken. And Isaiah teaches us that will never cease to increase. We have a great kingdom. who will con- That will continue to increase. And that we have a church that will continue to advance. And not even the gates of hell. Can, can stop. The church of God. Robert Fial, who is formerly with St. John's College in Durham, England, said we could be intimidated by the progressive secularization of life in the West, the rapid dismantling of our Christian heritage, and the relentless sneering of the media at biblical Christianity. Anybody there? But we do need, do not need to tremble for the ark of God as Eli did. 
First Samuel 4.13, Eli was con- concerned about the, the ark of God. Can you imagine you and I being worried about God's presence? For Christ is building his church and nothing, say nothing, nothing. can prevent that. Nothing. I know I read the same news articles you do. I, re- I see the same reports. I hear the same, for lack of a better term, I, I'll give you a good theological term, wacko things that are said and done. I saw, I saw a picture this morning, a video of kids in England standing in an aisle of a grocery store pouring milk on the floor one by one. One gallon of milk. It wasn't their milk. Pouring, I mean, the whole floor was full of milk. Protesting some, I don't know what. I don't get it. I see all of that. Uh, you know, if you, if you look at enough of that, you can think, well, we are done. We are toast. This is done. Jesus gonna strike this whole place with a bolt of lightning. You know, I no, can't say what I thought. No, I'd like to keep my job. But I want to let you know you don't have to fear for the ark of God. You don't have to be afraid for God and the presence of God. You don't have to try to defend God. You don't have to try to make God look good. You just need to pay attention to his house. You need to apply yourself to his mission. And then finally, and I know we're going to be eating here in a moment. He, he takes this last verse and he hones in on Zerubbabel and he speaks directly to this governor of Judah. Zerubbabel is the governor of Judah because one of his ancestors, Jehoiakim, I think that's how you say his name, we do not know what he did. We do not know the sin that Jehoiakim committed, but we do know that it was severe enough that God said to him, the lineage will stop with you. It's done. You, you, I'm removing you from the kingship of Israel, and no one's going to sit on that throne again. We do know that one did sit on that throne again. One day, King Jesus came, and he's sitting on that throne today. But we do know that this was because the, the Jehoiakim was, was his ancestor. He was not the king, but he was the governor of Judah. They had put him in this place as one of his ancestors. And we do know that he represented Jesus Christ, as a matter of fact, he appears in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1.13. And what I think the Lord in Haggai is doing here is saying to us, all of this points to Christ. Zerubbabel points to Jesus Christ. He's in the, he's in the genealogy. He represents him. And, and I can't get into it, but the curse that was on that family was broken and Joseph, the, the father, stepfather of Jesus, he grew up under that, watching that curse on his family. But he watched through his legal son, Jesus Christ. He watched his legal son assume kingship of that throne and break that curse in his family, which is why the virgin birth is so important. The virgin birth is non-negotiable in theology. 
Jeremiah 22, 24, God removes the signet ring from Jehoiakim as a sign that the kingdom is doomed to exile. But here it is given to Zerubbabel to show the messianic line continues. He says, I'm going to make you like a signet ring. And then one day his, his offspring would come and be the signet ring. Jesus Christ. It all, it all points to Jesus, which is why it's so important, so neat that the day we sang about the name of Jesus all morning. It's all about Jesus. As a matter of fact, uh, the theme of the Bible, the theme of the Bible is Jesus Christ. Genesis to Revelation, it's about Jesus. You just look, In every book, you'll find Jesus. And that's why we worship that Messiah today. And will for, and will for all eternity. Stand with me.